The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Good morning. Good morning. The scripture reading for this morning comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the reading of the word. Thank you, Sister Wadu. Yeah, she still got that Jamaica glow. Her and her her husband, Kalechi Wadu, this came from from Jamaica. They didn't bring me no jerk chicken back. Uh, I don't forgive them for that, but they show enough glowing. Amen. They act like they're on honeymoon or something. Thank you again, all who are visiting with us, and um, we just give glory to God because he is mighty and he is wondrous, and we know that there is none like him. We've been singing all this morning about his goodness and who he is, and that there's no rival, and that this God that we serve, as in Psalm 8 and 1 says, that, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And we proclaim that goodness of his name because he is a mighty God, one that we know who is Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, one that we also know as Elohim, El Shaddai, a God who is the Lord of hosts, everlasting Father, wonderful Counselor, uh, mighty God, Prince of Peace, Ancient of Days, seated at the heavens, at the throne of heavens. This is the God that we serve, and this is the God that we've been singing about and worshiping all this morning. And even as we look into the text, this is the God that we will be talking about. His name. The particularly, we know that He has several names, and He revealed these names particularly so that His people may know Him. You may just be joining us. Um, is, by the way, is there any other group that's here this morning? Any other group? Okay, just making sure. No new groups. But you may just be joining us. And if you are, we've been going through a series in particular about intimacy with God leads to intimacy with one another. And we titled it, We. And for the reason being is that we believe and sincerely what the Bible teaches us is that through His leading... And through knowing him, it actually allows us to have intimate relationships with one another. It helps us. Now many of you are like, what do you mean by intimate relationships? I mean by essentially seeing community with one another as vital. And seeing each other truly as the family of God. That's important for us. Because as a community, we oftentimes come to this place and we go to our own spaces. But what the Bible teaches us is that even though we go to our own spaces, we still are connected spiritually, mystically, in a way that causes us to be sanctified together, that causes us to help and encourage each other, etc. And that's what we've been trying to encourage. So even in practical ways, like doing the family breakfast, before church service, it's moments in which when we come all, we come together and we eat together so that we can get to know each other. We don't just do these moments in order, just so, just for anything, but we do them so that we, as the family of God, and if you're visiting us, you're a part of this, we want you to be a part of this. I'm always a salesman. You don't go anywhere else, okay? You found your home. Amen, somebody. Glory to God. Um, but, but you do, we do come here and, uh, we eat together, we sup together, we get to know each other's names 
Sometimes we sit on this side and we sit on this side and we never get to meet each other. So those are areas that where we do that. Also community groups. Those are areas that where we get to foster that intimacy and get to know one another in deep ways that help us to be transparent. Amen. So as we look at Exodus 20 verse 7 at the third commandment, what we'll realize is that it gives us a comprehensive understanding of the name of God. A a more deeper and robust understanding of what it means of not to misuse God's name. And technically, I mean, typically we only see this in the context of restricting the language, not using vulgarity, not using God's name with curse words, or not using God's name uh, to spite spite someone else, etc. We only look at it in the context of how we speak about it, but there's a more in-depth understanding of the third commandment that's presented here. And that is, is that we understand the importance, the importance of God's name. And how it, it is uniquely demonstrates, how it uniquely demonstrates his attributes of who he is and what he is. And then it also leads us to revere him. And so when we look at this, brothers and sisters, we're looking at this not in the context of don't say this. And I know that as we've been looking at the commandments, it, they've all started out with negatives. And if you've just joined us again, the first four commandments really help us to worship God. They really help us in order to give us a perspective on his transcendence. And then the next six commandments actually help us with our intimacy with one another. So it helps us in order how we relate. So now we're looking at a big God. We're looking at this transcendence in which God, and my son may act a fool on the first row. The first row ministry, <laughs> he typically in the back. But, but pray for him. He needs Jesus. He needs to know his name. But... But the, but the reality is, is that you're looking at the context of people who did not have or commit themselves to Yahweh, the one true God, who are now committing themselves to Him, and God is giving them a way in which they ought to live. We talked about how the law is not to be used in order to get, be regulating people, but it's in order to, to be used to give us freedom. If you were to just drive out into the streets and there were no street lines or no, there were no um, medians or speed limits, there were no rules in which you drive, you would crash, there would be chaos. So the law helps give us not just uh, boundaries, but it gives us freedom in order to house, giving us the ability to operate. And then we've seen that there is no other God, right? There's no other God that needs to be worshipped. There's one God that needs to be worshipped, and he is God of all. This is the God that delivered them out of Egypt, and he's called them their treasured possession according to covenant stipulations on the relationship that they have with him. Tamage preached last week on the second commandment in terms of idolatry. We all have idols in our hearts, in our minds. We'd be lying if we say we don't have things that we that we fall to idols, whether it be sex or money, whether it be careers, ambitions, accomplishments, whether it be our families, whatever it is, uh, there are things that fight and compete for us. And Terrence gave us a great sermon on how to recognize and pay attention to the idols of our hearts. This morning, we're looking at the third commandment and how to use God's name. Before we do, let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you've given us your word and that it can be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. That it can govern us in ways that no other thing can. This is why, Lord Jesus, being a Christian 
is very important because we have hope. But Lord Jesus, also, we have things that guide us and lead us. Today in which culture says we can go anyway. So I pray, Jesus, this morning that you use me. Hide me beneath your cross so that your word may speak to your people. And speak to their hearts and minds, encouraging them to continue to fight the good fight of faith. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, names matter. Names matter. The reason names matter is because you can look at the things around us and there are names on a lot of things. Branding. In fact, depending on what an individual is wearing, it actually describes something about them. It may tell you where they're from. It may tell you their favorite team. It may tell you their favorite player. It may tell you their favorite designer. Names matter. In fact, it may tell you where they love to shop or where they love to go to to the beach. I mean, everybody knows about the 38 sticker. I didn't know anything about it until I came to Memphis from St. Louis. It's like, what is this 38? Then I realized it was the Truman Show Street, right? Um, uh, But names matter. And we brand ourselves. Oftentimes we're wearing things and we're branding things that we don't realize that we, we're actually uh, supporting or telling something about ourselves. Well, when I came to this realization, I said to myself, well, I need to be able to support some of the, the merch these days that a lot of people put out. Um, and Christians, they have a lot of merch. And this merch, I said, well, I'll, I'll buy some. And I got into the little dad hats. Um, some people don't believe I used to wear snapbacks that fitted, but I did. But God sanctified my hat. And so I'm, now, I'm a dad, and so now I wear dad hats. Okay? Um, but what, what I found this place, it was called the Forgiven Boutique. And I said to myself, well, let me intentionally wear merchandise that's Christian. And I knew that in wearing this merchandise that I would basically be telling something about myself. And so there was this one place in Chicago called Forgiven Boutique where I would buy a hat and it would have uh, Forgiven across the top and then like the rose of Sharon right underneath. And I said, <clears throat> and I would get a lot of questions. My family would ask, well, you know, what's, what's this hat? Or friends would ask, you know, what, what's particular about this hat? Anything special? Or strangers even. It sparked several conversations which actually led to opportunities to share the gospel. But as I was recognizing that me wearing this hat was a conversation starter, but it did something more. It began to tell my story. Begin to tell the God that I know. The name on the hat led to the greater name. And that is the reality that we live in. We live in a, a, a reality where oftentimes we struggle with the name that we've been branded with. If you're a Christian this morning, you know that God has written his name on your heart when you surrendered and made a profession of faith to him. That you are his. That he won't let you go. But if you haven't surrendered this morning to to Jesus, I I ask that you do so. Or you inquire at least to, to who is this God and what's so great about his name. Why is his name bigger than Michael Jordan's? Why is his name bigger than bigger than any other government official? What is it about this name? Well... This name actually does more than just brand you. It is a representation of God's nature. Are y'all getting me? 
Okay, we got a lot of visitors this morning. Just three or four amens, just to let me know. But but the the issue that we have with struggling bearing God's names is because we limit His understanding of His holiness. And so then, if we understand that we bear His name, then we bear His nature. We bear His wisdom. We bear His power. We bear His goodness. We bear His truth. As we expound on this, there are two questions that we ask this, that I want to answer this morning as we dive into exploring this name theology. That is, what's in the name? And then, what does it mean to take or to bear the name of God? First of all, when we look at what is in the name, I, I, I looked at John Frame and he goes into an ethical approach as to look at, at the Ten Commandments, but he highlighted three things that he's seen that is in God's name. And that is his sovereignty, that is his authority, and that also is his presence. When you look at God's sovereignty, you actually have to take Exodus into the entire context of what's going on. So you need to go back to Exodus 3, 3.14 in particular, where God actually introduces himself to Moses. The burning bush in which Moses walks up to that is not consumed by fire and it begins to speak to him. And it's God speaking to Moses. And as he's talking to Moses and he's telling Moses to tell my people that I would deliver them out of Egypt. Interesting. Who is this God telling Moses that I would deliver you, deliver your people out of Egypt? It's the God of his forefathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Moses says to him, okay, well, look, when I go back to the people, after he slipped off his, his Gucci flip-flops, I, I had to say that, I wasn't, I wasn't going to say it at first, but it just cracked me up because he slipped off his sandals. But nevertheless, it was holy ground. The idea was he said... Tell them I am who I am. The literal translation is, tell them I will be who I will be. And, and that, for me, I, I, I look at that and I struggle because I want to tell my family. When I leave the house, <laughs> I am who I am. <laughs> Jump in the car, just go to work, right? But what, what, God is, what God is giving a picture of is that he is saying that I, there is no one title that describes me. I am far more expansive than incomprehensive than what you or anybody else can imagine. Thus, when I am telling you I am who I am, this refers to my personal name. This refers to Yahweh, how self-sufficient I am, how self-existent I am, how eternal I am. This is who it tells you who that I am. So Jews at the time said that we won't use Yahweh. Instead, they use Lord. So when you look at your English Bibles, you see Lord in capital letters that actually describes Yahweh, the name of God, because they seen Yahweh as the sacred name, the most holy name. And so they said Adonai in the Hebrew instead of say, or in the Septuagint instead of saying Yahweh. And so when we look at now, we can say Yahweh. The practice is, and the, the idea of it is, it's getting to exactly what we're talking about, the intimacy. God wants to know us. Not only does he want to know us, but he wants us to know him. And so he says, I am who I am, which refers to him personally saying that I am your God, the one true God. And there is no rival, nor is there no equal. 
That is the beauty of knowing his name and his sovereignty. Thus everything comes underneath that. Everything comes underneath his supremacy. So not only do we understand his sovereignty that's in the name, but we understand his authority that is in the name. Think about it. All creation is subject to God. Every knee will bow. It reiterates out of Philippians 2 and 10 with the Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah 45 and 23 that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. His authority is also an authority we can trust because the psalmist says some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of Yahweh our God. The psalmist encourages the Israelites to trust in Yahweh proclaiming that he is is who he is he says he is and he can do what he says he can do not only is his is it a reality which we trust in his authority but his authority actually provides salvation that's what we see out of psalms 54 and 1 that god that the psalmist calls on god to save him y'all see what i'm saying that the that in the name of jesus In today's way, we think that there are other things that save us. We call on the authority of other idols of our lives in order to take hold for us. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you found yourself in a pinch, whether that be financially or whether that be, you know, in an ethical situation and you did not know how to get yourself out. You didn't pray. You didn't go to God. You figure to try to, if you would try to just uh, create your own way or uh, use your own ingenuity to, to work out things on your own behalf, what happens is you work under your own authority. You no longer trust in Him, but you trust in, in the things that you feel or sense that would be the most, uh, that would be most convenient to deliver you. But think about it. If He is who He is, and if He's faithful to who He is, Everything that you try to use is under his sovereignty and his authority. There's no way you can get around the fact of knowing God's name because he's branded everything. We see it with his presence. So we see that his that in his name we see his authority. In his name we see his uh, we see his sovereignty. But then also in his name we see his presence. You can look at Deuteronomy 12 and 11, which <clears throat> associates. God's presence, the presence of Yahweh with a name, God's name. And then what does he say? God places his name in his dwelling place at the central sanctuary. Now, if you realize that the central sanctuary in Deuteronomy is what they were constructing so that the people of God can have a place of worship. That's why the place of worship is so important. Let me take a parenthetical moment right here because this affects the way that we look at church. And I will get to how we look and view church because there are so many different perspectives of how we ought to be a member of a church and where we need to be committed to a church and how we, you know, what is membership and how do I get involved in volunteering versus leadership, etc., etc. We can get into the nuance, but the reality is God says you need a place of worship. You need a central place of worship, but then your life should always be worshipful. You see what I'm saying? Because what it says is God has always been tabernacling with his people. 
If then God is ridding his dame on the most holy place of the sanctuary that's central, if we then are temples of the living God, where has he written his name? He's written in his name in the very people that he's purchased. This is God's personal touch. This is his identifying identification card. This is the way, this is his calling card to say that I've written my name on my people. I've stamped them with my presence. I've stamped them with my character. I've stamped them knowing that, uh, having them knowing that I own them because I've rescued them. Not for any reason. The psalmist says in Psalm 106 and 8, yet he saved them for what? His name's sake. That he might Make known his mighty power. The psalmist says that it is for the namesake of God that you are saved. It was for the namesake of God that Israel was brought out of Egypt. When you fast forward and go to chapter 32 where God says, well, I will just write off all of these people. What does, what does, uh, uh, what does Moses remind him of? Of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And, but, but think about what God promised Abraham, but then what he is trying to promise Moses. He said, I will make you into a great nation, and then I will make what great? Your name. What was the issue with the Tower of Babel? See, there was a biblical theology in understanding how we as uh, sinful individuals have utilized naming in a fallen way. Because when they build this tower to Babel, what are they trying to build it for? To make a what for themselves? A name for themselves. What's in the fact of naming? It's easy for us to understand that naming actually represents more than the title. In this case, because God could have went by Elohim. He could have just simply went by uh, any other formal God name because every other God, even pagan gods, were called Elohim. But God says, I am that I am, who I am. I'm Yahweh. In fact, not only that, but I am the God whose name represents his sovereignty, his authority, and his presence. And essentially, that nature reveals and represents my nature to all of creation. So there's a missional emphasis on the fact of God demonstrating his name. I I, I really want y'all to understand this from the aspect of what you put and what you carry and what you bear. Because we take on his name. Take, not meaning, simply meaning that we take but we lift up is what the Hebrew says about the name. This is our point too. What does it mean to take or bear the name of the Lord? What does it mean to lift up? What does it mean to carry? What does it mean to raise the name of the Lord is technically what the text is saying. I know there are several of us who are in the congregation that are part of fraternities or sororities, other organizations. And when you think about the organization that you represent, oftentimes what happens? People stop associating you as an individual and associate you with what? The organization. 
If you're in the step shows and all of that, or if you in the frat house or the sorority house, etc., like you begin to represent that sorority or that fraternity, that call that begins to be a higher calling for each of the individuals. In fact, when you know when you're going through any uh, uh, process of becoming a part of one of those fraternities or sororities, they make an emphasis on the fact of what you represent and how you ought to carry yourself. Even today, when you look at what job you work at, the clothing that you wear, if you are an individual that is in finance, you may wear a certain particular um, uniform, whether that be suit and tie or button-up and slacks. Uh, if you are in construction, you wear a particular uniform, steel boots or uh, and, and a rusty shirt with some holes in your jeans or um, whatnot. But, but, but the idea, though, is, is you begin to identify with what you are associated with. You see that? As Christians, we should do the same thing. There should be some aspects of transformation that happens in our life in the usage of how we are used for God's name's sake. That then means, when you look at, think about this, I really, because today, social media, here's one of the things that I struggle with as, as, as as one of the pastors here, it, 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 like I, I try not to fall into all of the social media stuff or whatever, but it has to be like a healthy balance because this is the day, ministry in the digital age, oh how hard, where is Paul when you need him? But, but even when you think about what you put on your Instagram or what you put on your Facebook, what you put on your Twitter, you can actually lose your job. Or it can actually cause you to be associated with a particular political group or anything. Like, these are things that you, be, you don't realize how, oh, I'm naming myself. I'm branding myself. As Christians, then, and social media platforms and other platforms, this is what I'm getting to when I'm wearing Christian merchandise. We want to be able to change that perspective so that we be able to represent on any platform that we have the name of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to lift up his name. That's what it means to bear his name. That what it, that's what it means. So then when you, when you, I like to call it a biblical selfie, okay? Uh, uh, it's okay to take selfies, but take biblical selfies. What's a biblical selfie? Ah, see? Uh-huh, I'm going to hashtag that. I'm going to make it my own. <clears throat> but a biblical selfie doesn't show people, an individual that they should be enamored with. A biblical selfie actually points to Jesus Christ. It shows how you're named. Every time you do the angles, bang, bang, boom, bah. The reality is you want people to see a different image. You want people to see something else. You're trying to create your own image. I was like, in a digital age, we're actually getting back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, where man is trying to create his own image. Man is trying to be his own God by what he is trying to identify with. Oh, y'all tracking with me? So then, even when you think about this in the context of marriage, to take on a name, or you think about this in the family context. You want people to be able to, you want your children, you want your spouse to be able to represent your family well. 
I remember talking to a pastor friend of mine and I was asking him because I'm always curious as a pastor how to raise my son so that he won't be uh, a hellion. Amen. But he said, you know what, Mike? Every time I didn't harp on my kids when they did something wrong. I would just remind them of our last name. That you carry this name. And in carrying this name, it it doesn't mean that you misrepresent. Because you represent this household. So putting the responsibility on them in order to understand that it's not about your individuality. It's about the household that you represent. And this goes even to what uh, God says in Acts 9.15. Because he says... Lord, the Lord says to Paul, Paul will carry my name before the Gentiles, for the kings, and the children of Israel. God brands his people. God makes sure that we bear his name. This is, I don't know how much I can belabor this from the standpoint of how we live our lives out of this. So let me explain just a little bit more that when we, when we think about what it means to To carry his name. Because I I, want to be, I definitely want to be intentional. For my single people, when you get in a relationship, and if you're struggling with fornication, whether that be with a believer or a non-believer, you have to recognize that you're carrying God's name into that sexual relationship. And that the misuse of God's name is you defiling yourself. Even for, we'll get to committing adultery, my married people. When you're flirting, or if you, you cheat on your spouse, the vows that you've taken, you've defiled them. By the very name of God. Because you've taken vows in the name of God. So these obligations that we have in our society, even when you think about taking an oath in a court of law, what do you do it by? The name of God. Now as Christians, we know that we're doing it technically by God's name, the one true God. As other people, we don't know what name they're taking it by. But I wanted to paint that picture and I want you to think about every area that you're carrying God's name into. Every relationship that you're bringing God into. Every business deal that you're bringing God's name into. Every situation that you're bringing God's name into. Every, 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 every issue that you have with, um, with another brother or sister. Anything. What you're bringing God's name into. Reason being is because if you don't understand what you're bringing God's name into, that says to me you don't understand the God that you serve. This is the reason why it's important for Israel to bear the the name to all the nations because they didn't need to be associated with any other gods. This is why it means for the, this is what it means for the children of God to demonstrate God's name. It means to them to demonstrate wisdom, holiness, power, justice, truth, goodness. Why? Because a believing community actually represents this and demonstrates this to one another. I hope y'all are tracking with me. But here it is. A good example is if you, you know about 1 Samuel, Eli, he was a priest. And Samuel called the priests worthless sons. 
Why? Because they misrepresented God's name as priests. As people were bringing in, bringing in offerings, they were, they were eating the meat for themselves. They were actually uh, uh, drinking and being drunk. They were, they were not governing themselves as men of God. Why is this important? Well, I know for several people, even in my own family, who call themselves ministers and minister the gospel, but they inflict pain on people. I was just at home this past week and someone in my family said, I I don't even want to talk to a minister about Christianity because how someone else defiled God's name. That means that in the missional efforts, it it actually deflects the glory from God and brings it onto the individual. If you don't bear God's name truthfully, I am getting to church hurt. I touched on this two weeks ago. But I believe church hurt is one of the, is, is extremely high. As leaders in this church, I know that it is difficult to try to do everything perfect and we're not a perfect church. And I want to be clear here because I know that people who don't commit to churches or make themselves a part of church membership because they've been hurt by somebody, hurt by a leader, or they looked up to a particular person, or they, they, held the, they hold this particular person to a higher standard than others. What I want to say to you is, if you then have been hurt take this moment to seek forgiveness take this moment to be free from the bondage but then also don't hold any ministry leader above the name of God because they too bear God's name and so then when you look at this it it is it helps us to understand what it means not only in the sense of relationship to God, but it helps us with relationship to one another. Because the way that I can misuse God's name, God's name in my marriage, is to, be, be, to, to, be, to abuse my wife with God's word. To afflict, inflict upon her uh, unhealthy measures. This speaks to our, my marriage folks. This also speaks to downtown church to, to paint a bigger picture. I want y'all to understand that in holding each other accountable for spiritual maturity doesn't mean that we beat each other up. But what it means is we love each other because we know how we, the name of God and how we've been purchased. We know what we ought to lift up before God. And if you grew up in a, in a Christian family, I've run into so many Believers who struggled being in Christian homes because they tried to maintain the image. That the name of God wasn't holy. The name of God was something to just to be brandish. The name of God became something that was a misnomer of culture. But in reality, it should not be that. We should not, if you are living in a Christian home, raising your children, use the name of God to abuse your children. Listen to them. Hear their pains. Listen to how they've been hurt. Maybe at school. Maybe by you. Maybe by the broken home that they live in. Maybe by the divorce that they're going through. You have to listen. Why? Because it shows us how we ought to treat one another. 
When you look at Matthew 5, 33-37, it reminds us that God governs our thought patterns, He governs our word, He governs our deeds. And this is important, because look at what He says. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not, you shall not swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by, earth, by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the, of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make your hair white or black or bald. You have it in the text. Let 37. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that than this comes from evil. Young people today say, instead of saying swearing to God, they say on God. Young people, I want you to be careful of that. Don't put anything on God. Because you can't hold your word. What you're lifting up is God's name. The way you misuse it is thinking that you can hold his name. Also, I want you to think about this in very practical sense because what Jesus says is that even for your own head, religious leaders. And I want you to realize Jesus has been hurt by by the church. Jesus is killed by the church. So church hurt didn't start in the 21st century. It's been going on for a very long time. But what Jesus says is, don't bear false witness. The reason being is, not even on your own head, the reason being is because you can't govern yourself. This plays a key role. And here's an important note, that the Jews hesitated to use God's name in oaths. Because they didn't think that they can hold on to his word. They thought that they would lose they thought that they, they would feel his wrath. And so they used other names. That's why he said, don't, don't swear on your own head. So Jesus, in using this other name, I want you to look at this. They, they, they would swear on the temple gold. They would swear on other temple idols. They would swear on every other thing around them. And God's saying, don't swear on anything because I own everything. Not even on the hair on your head. Even when we say, you know, there's one phrase, I put everything on my mother or or I swear by my we have to be very careful with the words that we use because we're held accountable by this even when it comes to promissory notes even when it comes when we sign that loan agreement when it comes to when we sign when we ink on that business deal even when you sign to work at a particular job read the fine print so that you know that what you are promising yourself to And that you can bear that so that you may not misuse God's name in the sense of how you ethically participate at work. We don't look at the fine print at times. What do I mean by that? Well, student loans. Some of y'all say, oh, I'm going to get a loan. I'm not going to pay it back. I'm going to just have them call me. Some of us know we get loans and we can't pay them back. We just try to get it for the next to, to get to the next thing. Some of us get title loans. And we know we can't pay those. I hate predatory uh, uh, loan lenders. Because it's preying on people. But then I also think that the reason he says that you will not be held guiltless is because the fact that what you begin to bear takes glory away from God's name. 
it gets to the point that we were making this morning is that we take on God's name as a representation of him but also to reveal him it shows a longer picture of the I am of who I am this morning I'd like to invite our community group leaders elders and deacons up because here's the reality even as I was thinking through this text this throughout this week I was struggling because there's so many ways that I've misused God's name but then there's also ways in which we've all been afflict, afflicted. we all felt pain because God's name has been misused. You've looked up to a particular leader, church leader, and they failed you. They hurt you. They've afflicted you. And you don't want to be a part of a church. You don't even church, trust the church because the church misused God's name. I'd like to invite you up this morning just to pray. Pray for whatever's burdening your heart. And if you've hurt somebody by it, if it's going on in your marriage, if you're confused on whether if you've done it or not, this is not a moment where you're coming up here and you're, you should be shameful. But this is a moment where you come to say, God, I really want to represent you well. This morning, uh, if you are a community group leader or deacon, Elder, please come to the front to pray. This morning, we we just like to set the time out for you to pray with some of our leaders. But pray with me. Father, I thank you and I bless you for all that you've done and how you continue to have high standards for your people, not ones that they cannot meet, but ones that you've already met. But help us, Lord Jesus to trust in you and to abide in you not by our own strength but by the strength that you've given us the power that you've given us by the power of your name for the sake of your glory Jesus that we bless you and God we ask that you help us you bless the offering and use it for the advancement of your kingdom it's in Jesus mighty name all God's people said Amen. Amen.